1: Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
2: It's Thursday, the 23rd of April. This is On the Continent on Football Ramble Daily. I'm Luke Moore.
3: And I'm Andy Brassel.
2: Okay then. Welcome, Andy. Good morning. How are you?
3: Yes, I'm well. And
2: your good self? very very good thank you no complaints at all from me I uh, wouldn't even dream of it and um, before we get into today's show which will fe- uh, feature some piping hot european football chat i want to remind everyone that if they're patreon subscribers they have access to even more european football content in the form of the mailbag show hosted by our pal marcus bella and co-hosted by you mr andy um A chance for all you enthusiasts to ask questions of the team and have them answered so if there's anything you want an answer to uh, that's the place to do it head to patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily to get access for as little as five dollars a month there's also several other pieces of exclusive content uh, a discord server for you to chat with fellow football ramble daily subscribers and chances to win genuinely very good prizes as well that's patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily Andy give us a quick flavor of a highlight or two of what you've been talking about on the mailbag recently?
3: Um, well, we've had all sorts of stuff, really. Um, we were, what were we talking about last week? We were talking about... Um, all the, all the weeks kind of blend into one at the moment. Talk a bit,
2: so talk a bit about Roma, and we'll come on to them a bit later as well. Actually,
3: yeah, we talked we talked about the uh, potential Roma takeover, uh, which we'll we'll touch on here later. Uh, we talked about the the joys or otherwise of uh, surrounding yourself as a, a regime uh, with players from your own country that are not players from the country that the league is, that um, is part of the league you're playing in. So um, the question was with reference to Wolves, but of course there were loads of other uh, examples from all over Europe. But yeah, you can just get involved on uh, Discord. I-, I-, I pop up on Discord every uh, now and then for a little chat as well. Um, in fact, I'm going to go into the gaming part uh, later to see if I can get any uh, FIFA 20 tips because I keep getting panelled by my eight-year-old.
2: Yeah, I get powered by everyone on that game. Um, the, the um, <laughs> the other thing you guys did actually I really enjoyed recently was um, greatest relegation uh, escapes in Europe. That was really interesting.
3: Yeah, that was so, a terrific um, question, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, check that out um, over at patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily. Coming up today, we'll talk to Preben Rockier, who's a marketing director at FC Midtjylland in Denmark, uh, about a drive in football story you heard on Monday here on football ramble daily. Uh, Andy spoke to him uh, earlier and, and got a bit of further context on that. Very interesting. Um, we'll also look at the latest regarding a takeover at Roma, as Andy's already said, and um, we'll hear the latest about the salary deferments at the club as well. Uh, but first, Shall we dive into the current Champions League and Europa League plans uh, then? Uh, As things stand, um, here we are today on the 23rd of April, the latest idea is to play remaining fixtures in these competitions in August after the completion of domestic seasons. Uh, This is complicated, however, by authorities outside of football uh, setting the policy. For example, the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, Mark Rutte, has cancelled all public events until September, which effectively means uh, the 2019-20 Eredivisie season is done. Uh, There are no Netherlands clubs left in the two European competitions, but it shows the problem in principle. If that sort of edict is passed down in other countries, they won't be able to finish their season and that UEFA idea is essentially toast. Is that accurate, Andy? Uh,
3: I'm not sure it means the um, UA for ideas toast, but it does mean they'll have to be adaptable, which is something that Alexander Seferin has has recognised all along and has, has re-recognised uh, this week, if, if if that's the the correct phrase. I mean, you talked about um, the, the the principal problem, right? even though the Netherlands don't have any representatives left in in the two European competitions, because of course it looks like the Scottish. A premiership is likely to be called off as, as well and rangers are still in the europa league if only just after losing the first leg to um by leverkusen so um you you've got the possible situation where rangers don't play a domestic game until say september and they still have to get themselves out there for a europa league game at some point and um you, you know, I, I I don't know whether that would turn it into a sort of pre-season warm-up for them, given their um, position in the um, in, in the tie at the, at the moment. But as you say, it does sort of underline the the potential problems, and I think that's that's the thing. Like, we've we've said it again and again on on OTC the fact that the football authorities. Need to try and contingency plan for what's happening and for what is a major negative economic event. There's no getting away from that when we're talking, as we have done in previous weeks, about the future of 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 the the clubs and 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 the future of football on the continent. Um, But um, there's there's always going to have to be a degree of flexibility to the plans because they're all incredibly fragile. We know stuff can change, and we know that when <clears throat> the first one of these leagues or competitions comes back, there will be unforeseen problems that, that that pop up. That is almost inevitable. And in a way, I think this works quite nicely for you, Afer, because they give the clubs support, and maybe some of those problems can get ironed out while the domestic leagues come back. So there's some best practice to to take back when they go back into the Champions League and the Europa League in
2: August. So Andy, if, if some leagues finish at different times or, or uh, are not completed in some cases, but are completed in others, how will it be determined which clubs represent their leagues in the UEFA competition going forward? So what I mean by that is, will it be a uniform decision across the board by UEFA who say, these leagues at, at this point had these finishing positions. So that's who gets to represent you in the chambers league or the Europa league, or will there have to be a completely different solution?
3: Luke, it looks as if um, that is what the point of this week's uh, UEFA teleconference meeting is. So um, as we're recording later on Thursday, 23rd of April, uh, there will be a meeting between all the different national associations and um as we were saying, it's all quite fragile, of course. So there's no sense that there'll be definite dates given for the return of the the Champions League and the Europa League. What it does look like doing is UEFA setting out the basis on which European places will be distributed if the leagues finish and if they can't go forward. Um, And it seems, for example, that losing cup finalists will not, be admitted. It would just be done on league places. So France at the moment, for example, um it would be rather than uh Lyon or Saint-Etienne, who you both have to assume if the cup finals happen the Coupe de France and the Coupe de la Ligue uh, would go on to lose to Paris Saint-Germain, they would not be admitted um to the um to the Europa League. Um it would it would just be the top five that stands. Now of course this brings up another thing when we're talking about the example of France because there's an unequal amount of games played at the moment. So, um, like Lyon, who have qualified for European competition the last 22 years, I think, as stands, they're seventh. And if the league were to finish now, and France hopes to start again on June 17th, though there's some consternation between the league and the players' union on the terms of the resumption, so that's something to to, to watch. Um Leon wouldn't be in European competition. But what they would say is, um, or what I suspect they would say, is because um Strasbourg versus Paris Saint Germain was postponed due to concern about the the, the the onset of the pandemic in Alsace just before the whole league stopped, they would go back to the last completed round and at the end of that Leon were fifth. So that, that is the way they try to put it. Now, that is something for the domestic league to sort out. It's up to the individual domestic leagues to sort out what the places are. But then, once you've got those final places, how they will be distributed is something that would be a UA for edict, it seems.
2: So complicated, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of different clubs in lots of different situations. That Leon one there, you 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 said there, I hadn't even considered that before because PSG and um, Strasbourg haven't played each other, so that round isn't complete. Um, everyone, not everyone, but a lot of clubs are going to have a little. Uh, problem with certain situations, aren't they? And there's going to be... I mean, would there be lobbying being involved? I mean, is it going to be done with consult- consultation of the clubs? Because in, we know that in the UK... <clears throat> sorry, in England, in the Premier League, 14 clubs need to agree to something for it to go through. Is it similar, roughly, in other other countries?
3: I can't tell you, Luke, how disappointed I am because I thought we'd explain that perfectly and you get to the end and go, oh, no, it's really complicated. <laughs>
2: It really probably says more about it says more about me than anything else. But what I mean is, what I mean is, so I suppose let me let me clarify my question further. So what I mean is, if the league decide whatever they decide, and in some cases it will come down from a governmental authority, but if the league has to decide that within those parameters passed down by the government, will there be lobbying internally from different clubs' representatives for a, the best outcome for their club? Of course, there will, and there has been all along. You know, there's yeah. there's
3: there's no doubt about that. Um, I mean, an, another thing that came up in 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 France this week, and when you're talking about complication, is that uh, two of the presidents, Jean-Michel Olas, yes, him again uh, from Lyon, and uh, Jean-Pierre River of of Nice, said, "Why don't we complete the league September to December, and then start the league?" In, in the next calendar year so we just go to you know almost an old Russian model what they used to do play the game over the over the summer and uh, the rest of the presidents were like geez come on you know th- this is complicated enough anyway what yeah. are you trying to do and the whole point I, I think when we come back to this UEFA thing it, it's about the top leagues and their TV deals that's the major thing isn't it that that mm. they need to be able um those those clubs in germany spain italy england they need to get to a point where they're covered money wise you know they they can't be letting um you know, several hundred millions of, of, of TV money go. It's it's important for them, even the biggest clubs, to support themselves going forward. Whereas, you know, we've we've heard um, uh, the presidents of Ajax and and, and Vitessa in in the Netherlands say, "Well, we're not so reliant on TV money as them, so we're not really in the same boat." Uh, Belgium, mm. they were covered for um, force majeure, so they're going to get most of their money. The broadcasters will get most of their money back through through insurance, so. It's fine. There's not quite the same imperative to complete the season. But so many of these little things will come up. And as you say, Luke, some of them are, are things that we can see now, that we're discussing now. And there'll be so many other things, not just from um, a hygiene perspective. But for example, let's go to La Liga. Let's say um, La Liga um, start on one of those dates that Javier Tebas restart, um, wants to restart, and um, mid-June La Liga restarts. Sevilla playing at home June, July. How is that going to work? I mean, it gets to like 50 degrees there. They're going to have to kick off at midnight or something like that, and I'm I'm actually not joking, you know, that they will be kicking off, I reckon, like 11pm or something like that. Some would say La Liga have been there before and on a Monday night, but is 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 something th- these are all little things that are going to crop up so whatever the plan is in an ever changing environment there are always going to be it's it's going to be like whack a mole there are going to be so many other things that all the different leagues and UEFA are going to have to deal with
2: mm. all right Well, one country that could be the first to restart is Germany. Dates are to be confirmed, but it's looking like it could be next month, perhaps as early as May 9th. Although there's a meeting on Thursday about it and a more likely start date is either the 16th or the 23rd of May. It'll be behind closed doors, obviously, and there will be a health and safety task force that's been set up. Uh, your mate's dad will hate that, by the way, health and safety, Helena in a handcuff, um, <laughs> to ensure that strict behaviours are followed, particularly when it comes to away teams staying in hotels. Uh, Kicker in Germany covered this, and there were some amazing instructions, everything from not pressing the lift button with your finger to banning players from any sort of hotel buffet. Uh, there's also advice on minimal staffing and lots of services you'd expect from a hotel just simply won't be available. There was an interesting story on the BBC website about it this morning, about how they'll actually go about bringing Bringing it back uh, logistically and as you'd expect testing is front and center and that is well worth a read if you get a chance um germany who haven't been hit as hard by this virus as other places in europe andy looking like they may be the first to come back and it could well be that all the eyes of the football supporting world are going to be on germany um maybe around this time next month
3: yes it does and um it sounds like one heck of an away trip, doesn't it? With just yeah. all that, that, that stuff around uh, hotel in, in instructions. I mean, one, one of the other ones was that there was um, a defined optimal temperature for players' and humidity. Rooms. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. That's, 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 that's right. It had to be between 50 and 60% humidity and, and no more. I mean, all the other stuff, like, you know, they're not allowed to go to the bar what the hell would they be doing going to the yeah. bar on an away yeah. trip anyway? I, th- I think you'd have the hump, wouldn't you? It's not the 1970s anymore. Mm. Um, but I, th- I think in in terms of plans, even advanced plans being fragile, um, this story that you're talking about on the BBC website, which has been taken from um story that broke late last night in the German media, um, it's a sort of leaked plan about how... Um, match days themselves would would unroll so it's like the next part of the plan and you know stuff in terms of uh, the, the major thing that's been focused on is if a player tested positive you wouldn't necessarily quarantine the whole group you just test them. And it's not that specific about the point where you actually would test them. Like you wouldn't test them on the way into the stadium. It would maybe be a couple of days before or there'd be two tests in the week before the the, the game or or, or whatever. Um, It's something that is constantly evolving. And of course, the fact that it's not indefinite leaves it open to criticism. So I think that shows really that, the football authorities, even in a case like Germany, where they've managed to flatten the curve well, um, things are still developing and things are still changing. And, you know, uh, you know, people have said as well the fact that, um, you, you know, there's a possibility, as you say, of it starting on, on May the 9th. And it's not until uh, April 30th that Angela Merkel gets together with um, the, the 16 governors of all the federal states and decides how they're going to go forward with the next stage of moving on and paring down social distancing and and all that because you know there's not full contact training yet and you want three weeks of of, mm. of full full contact training so there've mm. been special training guidelines released so they can up the intensity of 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 the training because they want as much training in as possible before it actually restarts so there are so many moving parts, even for a country that, you know, I think Merkel put it as we've got a fragile progression in terms of what what, what we're trying to do. And I think her, her use of the word fragile is, is very interesting, I think, for a political leader to, to use that and very wise in these, these circumstances. But I think it shows that, you know, so much of this is having to be made up on the fly. At the moment... They just have to have this list that looks absolutely exhaustive and then pare down from there. But, as I said, other things will come up,
2: yeah, and there's been a bit of pushback from um one or two politicians who were saying that you know the amount of tests you would need to do this would perhaps mean that. More needy people wouldn 't get the tests because they 're being used elsewhere um, according to that to that news report. there are six hundred and forty thousand tests available per week in Germany. The Bundesliga and second division would require about half a percent of those tests um, to to fulfill their plan and there 's been a bit of a discussion in Germany about whether that's actually morally. Like, correct but the thing is the other side of that is that you know there are 50,000 or circa 50,000 workers employees that rely on the football industry for their jobs and with the exception of Sky Germany who I think have agreed in principle to honor their final installment of broadcasting rights um DAZN ARD ZDF of of um have not paid yet and it looks like it's going to be around maybe under 250 million euros, something like that, of money that's being held back as things stand. And a lot, as I said, a lot of people's jobs rely on that. So it's a real balancing act. We expect to see more information, as I've said, in the meeting on Thursday. And then on the 30th, there'll be another meeting with decision makers, and we'll see a little bit more clarity then. But it does look like Germany um, far closer to coming back again behind closed doors than than a lot of other leagues around Europe. 60. There was an interesting story that came to light over the weekend, and we covered it on Monday's Ramble. And that's an idea of drive in football at FC uh, Micheland in Denmark. It's an example of a different approach to fans watching games. Um, it piqued our interest, uh, so we thought it would be nice uh, to talk to Michelin's marketing director, Preben Rockier, and hear more about that. Um, Andy caught up with him earlier and asked him how it all came about. We try to have a, a very
4: close uh, discussion uh, uh, with, our, with our fans all the time. And we have a very creative uh, uh, media department inside uh, FC Midland as well. And when we have this kind of situation where we all agree that, that uh, we have to take care of each other, we've been trying to say then what could be the second best uh to seeing football on the stadium and then we agreed that that uh that we should put up a lot of ideas and and then we we found that that this was the best idea we we thought that that this could be something that could uh, unite people not standing shoulder to shoulder but but sitting car to car uh watching football together
3: And so have other clubs been in touch with you since the idea became public knowledge? Obviously, people have been talking about it all over Europe and all over the world. Have other clubs from Denmark and abroad been in touch to ask for help and advice and how they might do a similar scheme?
4: We've seen a few clubs uh, trying to do something uh, similar and uh and we have also uh uh had a few clubs asking uh how they could do it in 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 a way that 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 uh would be similar to the way we're doing it but the most funny thing i think was that we had a, a baseball team from washington in the us asking uh, a lot of different details about how could they use how could they do the drive in thing at, at their place
3: well, I, I suppose the drive-through experience makes sense in terms of America, doesn't it? I mean, uh, apparently yeah, yeah. some American cinemas, some American drive-ins have, have been doing quite good business. So, yeah. so this, is, this is something that could work well.
4: Yeah. Uh, we, as, as I said, we, we've been talking to some clubs, but, but the, the crazy thing has been that, that we thought that this was a good idea in our region, perhaps in our country. But, but we're discussing this all over the world. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to be in, in a morning show in, uh, in Japan. The day after that, it's an evening show in <laughs> Australia. Uh, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to, yeah, I've been uh, in, interviewed to a Polish uh, TV station. It's, it's, it's really gone crazy.
3: So, Middlesbrough in its current form is, is is quite a new club. In terms of creating an idea about this, I mean, you talked about the closeness to the fans and taking the fans' ideas on board. Is, is the fact that you've got quite a new infrastructure something that makes this easier to roll out as well?
4: You could say so. We have a we have a quite young club, and we are in an area of, of Denmark where where nothing really is given. We have no water. We have no mountains. We have no. We are not that many people. So everybody is 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 kind of sticking together, and and when you come to the, with this kind of idea to to the local authorities and to the police and to everybody else in the region, it's not a, a question of of getting a permission. It's a question of uh, how are we going to solve this together. So 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 suddenly it's also a task for the police and and the t- a task for the local co- council, and we're all working together, and 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 this is really tremendous in 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 uh, in this kind of, in, in this part of Denmark.
3: So what has been the sort of prep that you've had to do for it, Preben? What, what are the practical steps that you have to take to make this from a great story to something that actually happens and is a great experience for the supporters?
4: First of all, we are mounting up a 46-square-meter screen in, in front of the stadium. And we are mounting up an even larger screen, 52 square meters, at the back of the stadium. Then we're having around 700 cars in, in the front, and around 1500s in the back, meaning 2,200 cars in all. We have the possibility around the stadium to build it up to 12,500 cars. So we have a very special uh, facility here. Wow. And then we'll be transmitting the, the game, of course, on the screen as it is played. And the sound, uh, when you go into the stadium, we have uh, registered a, a special frequency. And then it, when you're tuning into this, you will do. Uh, you can do that in your car radio, and then you will hear the uh, the commentators uh, talking about the match in your car. What we also is doing is that we're putting up uh, uh, microphones and cameras in the in the big screen uh, cameras, oh, sorry, in the big screens. So then we're transmitting what's happening on the parking lot inside the stadium so the players and the staff inside the stadium will be able to see and hear what's happening outside the stadium so that's 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 a special part of it and then as when we fi- when we are finished uh, talking here i have a meeting with our special uh, our different fans uh, uh, fan sectors in order to to mm-hmm. uh, to find out what can we do can we make, make something special out of the horns do we make carnival uh, about how you decorate your your car into a fc midland car and and so on and so forth. So so we really try to make this an an event that that people will say, okay, it was a big news when it came out, but it's 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 even bigger when we see it.
3: It, it sounds amazing, but but I've got to ask, what about the boring practical stuff? What about drinks and if fans need to go to the toilet and stuff like that? What happens?
4: I could give you a, a couple of examples uh, when about drinks. Uh, uh, first of all it's it 's alcohol free. We agreed with that uh, with the police because uh, we 're a little bit worried that that everybody uh, stays in the cars and and uh, and and uh, that everybody's going a lot of people is going to drive home afterwards. When it yeah. comes to going to the restroom uh, we urge people to to do that before coming, but we will also have restrooms at the facilities and if you blink your light, then a, a safety guard will come down escort you uh, to a toilet afterwards clean it and escort you back to the car again
3: well that's that's fantastic I mean how important do you think it will be for the players to have that feeling of closeness to the fans that they're there even though they're not there in the stands have you spoken to the players about yeah, that spoken, their reaction to it
4: I've spoken a lot to the players and, 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 and uh, the first thing they said no matter what you find out, everything is better than the last game we played without any, any fans at, at, at mm. the stadium. And they think this is a great idea. It, for all of us, it's a little bit difficult to imagine how it's going to, to, to play out because uh, nobody of us have, have, have tried this before. But, but I'm, uh, you can be sure that, that, that there will be a lot of activities and a lot of activities will be focused on connecting from the field inside the stadium to uh, the 50 meters outside the stadium in order to 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 uh, to to secure that everybody knows that, that something hap- is happening on both sides of, uh, of the fence
3: and finally preben um, having organized this drive in football project you might be organizing a similar project but in terms of parading a championship trophy in a couple of months, Yeah. is that something that people have in the in the back of their minds
4: at the club? No, uh, no doubt that what, what we're hoping is it's it's quite sure we will not play with, with, with fans on, on the stadium at, at at this time. That's more or less uh, for sure. So what we're hoping is that that uh, that we are having uh, twelve thousand uh, cars outside the stadium uh with with uh, 15 or 16 uh, different large screens and that we're having a party uh without uh without uh, compromising uh, what is uh, what is the government's uh, plan for the country
2: it's fascinating stuff and isn't it and and the thing that, that really piqued my interest as well there is the idea that uh, michelin are currently 12 points clear at the top of the table in denmark and the talk of them lifting a trophy is quite interesting
3: uh, yeah, it it really is, and um, well, maybe if they do get to those those title celebrations, if we're allowed out by then, what do you reckon? A little
2: little at the match, Luke? Yeah, your your car or mine?
3: I think it'll have to be yours because uh, yours has I, I would say slightly more comfortable seats and okay. definitely a better stereo system.
2: All right, I'll let you beep the horn when they lift oh. the trophy. <laughs>
3: I mean, there's no point in us listening to the Danish commentary, is there? So uh, no, we might as well not. just sit in there listening to MF Doom or whatever.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, you can hear an extended version of that interview, by the way, <clears throat> slightly longer, over on our Patreon as part of the Ramble On episode that will come out in the coming days. Um, there's there's a few uh, other bits and pieces in there about what's going on at the club and how the Danish football how Danish football broadly is dealing with the crisis. So if you want to hear the extended version of that, it's part of Ramble On. Uh, the URL to sign up, as I gave to you at the top of the show, is patreon.com forward slash football ramble
0: daily. Sometimes winner, sometimes loss. I have many difficulties. Mammy work 12, 12 hours, 15 hours a day in the back. My job and my players is not touch.
2: In addition to Germany, um, Italy May now have a consensus to resume. In a meeting recently, all 20 Serie A clubs signalled an intention to complete the 1920 season, government allowing. Uh, this is a change from the last meeting they had, in which Sampdoria, Torino, and Brescia all opposed attempting to finish it. Um, In their statement, the league included the phrase, in compliance with medical protocols for the protection of players and all professionals. And it's hoped they can start to train again in May, even if it takes until the autumn, um, the FIGC and the clubs are committed to finishing the league. That's roughly in line with the UEFA protocol. uh, But again, the Italian uh, football authorities are at the mercy of the Italian government, Andy, aren't they? And Italy's been hit very 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 hard by this pandemic as we know so it's going to be very tentative and very very careful when they do make any decision
3: yeah that's absolutely right and I think it's interesting that one of the voices we've heard most in the last week in Italy is that of uh, Vicenzo Spadafora who's the, the minister for sport so it feels like he's leading it which seems entirely appropriate and, um, you know, he's focused um, on the uh, economic aspect of it as well as you know, the, the morale aspect of, of it as well. And, you know, he said something that's very interesting, the fact that, uh, you know, football doesn't only correspond to, to, to Serie A and, you know, sport just isn't just football. So, uh, you know, it's he's bringing home the fact that sport is – is is part of national life as as well as the fact that it's economically necessary, as we've been saying, for lots of the lots of the top leagues to to try and get back on the road again if they can. I mean, still there's some doubt in terms of um, venues um, because hmm. th- there's been uh, talk that they might say omit the whole of Piedmont, for example, and just try and play the games in central Italy. Now, quite how that would. Work out. I mean, you know, there's been speculation on how um, the, the the events might be pared down in a lot of countries. I mean, there was even talking in in Spain a couple of days ago about how Real Madrid, rather than pl- play their games at the Bernabeu, might play their games at valdebebas the, the the training ground and take it from there, where they've sort of got a mini-stadium, a bit like Barcelona's mini Estadi, or, you know, like a lot of clubs, Manchester City have something similar, don't they, a sort of Mm -hmm. um, 2,000-capacity sort of um, uh, training um, stadium there. And um, in Real Madrid's case, uh, not to take it too far away from Italy, that would also give them the opportunity to start getting the drop on the building work they want to do on the Bernabeu, and they could get a period of time where they would work through to I think September to um, start on what is going to be well eventually an absolutely phenomenal construction. I don't know if you've seen the the, the plans for that. It looks the plans are unbelievable. They're, very,
2: they're spectacular.
3: Yeah, <laughs> they, they, they 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 really they really are. Um, so th- there's there's still a lot of things to, to to figure out, but the fact that you've got a date of may the 4th put out there that is the date when uh, italy as a country is expected to start paring down the the restrictions in terms of going out and social distancing etc etc and it seems there's already a, a reduction in the amount of of, of new infections That the that would be the point where they could start training again. And you, you've seen at the, at the weekend, I think Miralem Pjanic of, of Juventus posted um, a, a, a picture on Instagram saying, uh, "Going back to work," and it was him getting on a plane, flying back to to Turin. So, uh, you know, the players are, are ready for this. And I think the main thing is what you said at the top there is absolutely right to point out the fact that at last there seems a consensus. There seems a desire to finish that there wasn't before. And I, I think that's totally understandable from, you know, we've, we've talked so much about the financial side of that. And I, I think that is right because people still want football clubs there at the end. And a lot of people, um, not just us, but people who work in ticket offices and work at stadiums, at groundsmen and all, all, all the rest of it, rely on, on football for, for, for their work. But with Italy... I think so much of it has, has been. If you go back, I reckon even like two to three weeks, there's just not an appetite for football to come back. And you look at um, groups of ultras saying, "Why would we?" You know, people are dying. Why can? Mm. How can we think about football? Mm. You can't minimize that. That's absolutely huge. And I think when you um look at say that we were talking about the netherlands before the reaction in the in, in the netherlands there has never been any will amongst the players or the clubs for the season to continue and so um when mark Ritter came out with um that that saying that well, right, right there can't be any major events and that includes you know any competitive sports or any games behind closed doors or anything like that it was it was kind of a relief I think to the league and, and, and most of the clubs in it, because there was, I, I think, whereas the financial aspect is, is important, and we've, we've, we've said from the beginning, it sounds heartless to say, but the reality is protecting football clubs and protecting people's futures um, is important. You can't overlook the emotional aspect of it. And I think so much of that, so much of this has to be led by that, like the desire yeah. to actually have it back. And it's not for us to tell, or anyone, to tell other countries, individual countries, when that feels right or when that feels appropriate.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's it's got to come from them themselves, particularly in someone like Italy that's been hit so hard. It's a very difficult balancing act, isn't it? Just as a broadcaster, let alone as a decision maker, where you think that, look, let's be absolutely clear, over 25,000 people have lost their lives to this in Italy alone. It's a huge amount of people. Every single one of those is a tragedy and and should be mourned and and not forgotten. But at at the same time, in addition to that, there is an understanding, and I think there should be an understanding, that... There are are a lot of jobs at stake. There are a lot of people's livelihoods at stake. And and while those deaths are the most important thing and, and the most tragic thing about this, at some point, I think we all agree that the world will have to continue. It's just about getting that aspect right and being sensitive enough to the situation to not be seen or to not do anything that's going to be offensive or heartless or insensitive to the situation. And you're absolutely right, Andy. It's got to come from the people themselves. It shouldn't be passed down from up on high, but from people who have a kind of one-size-fits-no-one approach and have no in-depth knowledge or information of the area itself, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's I think that's fair to say. Um, but the fact that this is quite new, in terms of the league's clubs coming together and saying, right, okay, we're, we're prepared to get on with this and we're prepared to finish this at some point. We've already seen further preparation in that direction. Like, um, I know um, Manchester United, for example, have um, said it seems that both Chris Morling and Henrik Mkhitaryan will be able to carry on past June the 30th when their loan spells were due to expire and be at Roma's disposal after that point um you know these these are all things that are are coming together still and and that's why the the, the stuff about you know where where the games are actually going to take place is 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 still under discussion because you know this is only a a very a very new state of mind
2: yeah absolutely um Will we will we go and have a look at one of the more interesting stories in Italy as well, uh, as far as Roma? I mean, they the players and the coach, Paolo Fonseca at Roma, have agreed to forego their salaries for four months, March, April, May and June, to save the club an estimated €32 million. Um, Subscribers to our Patreon, as I said, Andy, will have heard you on the latest from the Friedkin Group's potential takeover of the club, something that's obviously stalled due to the ongoing pandemic. Can you give us a quick précis of the situation there, um, both on the um, on the salary foregoing, unless I've covered it in its entirety already, and and the takeover?
3: Um, well, I think let's go for the takeover first,
2: Luke. Because, okay. Because... Um, Treat it like a buffet, mate, like a buffet that a German footballer would not be allowed to be at. You just take the bits you want and um, we'll, we'll, we'll work out the rest later.
3: I'll help myself because they're not allowed to. A
2: safe buffet. Cause it's done remotely.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think this is too early in the day to make me hungry. Um, yeah. I, I think, um, the takeover is interesting because it, it, it was so close. I mean, we were talking on Jules and Andy earlier this week about the Newcastle United takeover.
2: Um, the Roma takeover well, over. Open that can of worms blimey.
3: <laughs> Amnesty aren't getting involved in this. There's there's no such yeah. concerns. Um, yeah. I mean, it was about Roma moving from American ownership with James Pallotta to more American ownership with Dan Friedkin. So um, we were further along the line than say Newcastle. Uh, are, are at the moment even if it seems just a case of the fit and proper persons test for for for, for them um, because everything's agreed um, the Friedkin group and representatives were going over to Rome um, to sign off on, on on the deal and then Serie A stopped and so the Friedkin said well you know what we we let, let's just stay, say stop for the moment and um, this it seems as put Pilotta's nose out of joint a, a little bit. And that's the last we've heard of it for the moment because I guess, you know, how can you sign off on a deal that big when you've got this amount of un- uncertainty? And especially mm. Roma, whose finances have been very up and down um, in, in recent years. Um, there's there's the fact that for, for Pilotta it is, is a pain, of course, because he uh, was set to make an absolutely enormous profit on this sale and he'd grown quite frustrated with um, trying to get things in place for the 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 new Stadio the Roma the new ground um, which would you know they've done the same thing pay-wise as as, as Juventus but this would be them um, commercially aping Juventus because they'd have their own stadium of, of a bigger size than Juventus actually and they'd have uh, corporate facilities be able to have concerts there all that sort of stuff and they'd actually be making money because they wouldn't be renting it as, as as most um clubs in italy do they you know they, they, the, the stadiums are municipally owned and 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 they pay rent so um that that would have been it uh, and, and still i think eventually will be a huge fillip for roma but there's a feeling that Pelota had grown quite tired of this i mean it was meant to actually open in 2016 and yeah, you know that, that they haven't they haven't even signed it off yet. Um, it must have been part of the deal to sell it to, to Friedkin to say, you know, this is your this is your opportunity. You know, you can make the club something incredible. And and Friedkin seems to have bought into that. But given the finance, and is club, that why
2: the price is so hot? Sorry to cut in, but is that why the price is so high? Because yeah. to me, I mean, people who look at the um, the deal, which is what is it, just a, a shade under nine hundred million dollars. Yes. Yeah, um, it's a. Uh, to me, I was astonished to see how high that price was for for a club in in Serie A. Um, but perhaps on my 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 opinion is just completely out of date on that. To me, it felt like it seemed like a very high price. But would the stadium kind of go some way towards explaining that? Yeah, absolutely.
3: Um, okay, because y- you look at the commercial potential. I think for for Roma, that's that's what it would have been been sold on. Um, but not knowing how much debt this crisis is going to create. Um, and, and when you bear in mind, it's, it's a club that, in terms of salary, has only really pared back in the, the last couple of years. When you, you look mm. at the amount of big earners that, that, have, that have gone, like um, uh, Totti, De Rossi, and that's before you get to selling Stroatman and, and, and Nainggolan, and it's a younger team under, under Palafonseca. Fonseca. Um, I, I think the Friedkins are right to, to, to wait. Um, if we look at the, the pay itself, it's quite interesting to see um, Roma come out actually this this week and um, uh, give 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 this statement and saying um, uh, we, you know Edin Dzeko our captain and we're definitely not going to sell him despite the speculation that he might move on this this summer. I mean he's he's 34 now. He nearly went to Inter um, uh, a couple of years ago and um, Chelsea as well. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, into last year. It was, it was, it was Chelsea yeah. before that, wasn't it? And um, yeah, I think it's very important for them to come out and say this at the moment because not only have all those senior players moved on and that is why Dzeko is the captain and of course Alessandro Florenzi who went off on loan to uh, Valencia um, in, in, in the last transfer window and Valencia have an option to complete on that deal, although that's one of myriad deals that's threatened by the whole situation at, at, at the moment. For them to hold on to someone who's experienced, bankable, recognisable, consistent, and all of those things are important. But I think it's particularly important at the moment because the push to do what Juventus have done, go without pay for those four months, not take a pay cut, go without pay for those four months. And yes, if it resumes they're eligible to get some of it back and all the rest of it and to pay the workers at the club, their full salary The the, the people who we were saying before who work in the offices at the club and um, the ground staff and all those, those sort of people. Jeco um, has been a leader of this, him and Paolo Fonseca, who's taken to life in, in Rome very well. And he talked about it in the Portuguese media recently, how much he loves it. Um, Roma were very, very keen to stress how much Dzeko led the players and how much Dzeko got everyone on board with that. So the idea that he would leave after that just does seem a bit ridiculous. Will they move on from him on the pitch at some point? Yeah, I would have thought so because, you know, he's mm. he's getting on a bit. He's got a lot of miles on the clock, although he's been very good this season, I, I, I might add. Um but but what he represents for Roma in terms of a figurehead as they're trying to move into this new era under Paulo Fonseca is very important and people are, are full of praise for what he's done in this particular situation where the whole squad have, have, have done a good thing, really, for, for the benefit of the club as a whole.
2: Mm, interesting times at Roma. Um, we'll watch that with interest. I mean, Andy, I wouldn't mind finishing off this week, if you don't mind, um, with a bit of chat about Monaco, who've had a... Kind of up and down the last couple of years after a bit of success in, in in France. They've been through five or six coaches in the last season in two-thirds or whatever it is. Although under Robert Moreno, they find themselves a little bit more resurgent. Um, they were, I think, mid-table at the time football stopped, but they were on the march, weren't they? Um, but unfortunately, it looks like they've fallen into difficult times with re-money uh, they want to go beyond statutory wage cuts and they've even gone as far as to ask the royal family for help can you give me chiefly but also of course our listeners uh, the skinny on what's happening over in monaco um
3: they've, they've got an issue because of course um they've they've been wage cuts already of um. about uh 25 percent now we have to say a lot of clubs in France are having trouble agreeing wage cuts across the board. and You know, this is something that in a lot of European countries,
2: Yeah, it looks uh, like for, most places that's happening really.
3: Yeah. And you know, a, a lot of, a lot of footballers have been criticized for this because the public perception or a large part of the public's perception, which I can fully understand is you get a load of money. Can't you just give it up? But, it's it's not about that, I, I think, for the majority of footballers. And it's, it's about doing the right thing versus being seen to do the right thing. Because being seen to do the right thing, the obvious thing is just saying, yeah, all right then, and then there you go. But as a player, and in an era where players take more and more responsibility for their legacy and their social impact, you want to know where the money's going, and you want to know um, as in, in terms of English Premier League players for example if I am um, not paying as much tax will that affect the emergency authorities you, you want to know all that stuff and, and and that's 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 fair enough the situation at Monaco is slightly different because um, uh, we, we've, we've got this 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 fact that everyone gets 20% taken off um because that's that's what the, the the government uh decrees well it's it's 16% in France and it's it's 20% in Monaco because of course Monaco is a separate country we've we've got to underline that and this is what it comes down to the fact that Monaco's model is is so so different because of course in terms of match day revenue they're not really losing that much but no. what they do have is um an absolutely enormous wage bill. They have the second biggest wage bill in Ligue 1 behind Paris Saint-Germain. They spent nearly €200 million on players last summer, which I think might surprise people because people still think of that 2017 team with um, Mbappe and Bakayoko and Bernardo Silva being completely dismantled. They spent a lot... And it's not worked out, you know. We talked about um, who wouldn't get into Europe um, if Liga were to to finish right now. Well, they wouldn't get into Europe, and they still face a battle to get into Europe were they to come back and continue playing. As is, as is the hope for for Liga. Now, what they want to do is they want players to um, take a further cut. Now, the fact is, if it doesn't restart. there, there would be a further cut compared to the um, consistent sorry with the, with the contracts that, that they have and it would come down to like 50% of their of their pay. But you know I, I guess a lot of people in France view it as these chickens coming home to roost a, a little bit because if you sign players who come for the money, and there are a lot of players who come for the money, and of course the lifestyle, because you don't get hassled in the street like you might do at other clubs or whatever. Because you're talking about Cesc Fabregas. <laughs> well, you know you're probably Is that a thinly in thinly veiled dig. It could be any of the players, really. I mean, you know, <laughs> you, th- you think you're probably in the bottom 25% of most famous people in Monaco. So, you know, go yeah. around Carrefour and do your shopping. It's fine. It's fine.
2: It's or like Simon the bumpy day,
3: boy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much. You know, you can uh, go to Subway unfettered <laughs> next to Fratton yeah, Park. Exactly. Um, exactly. But this is something that the Players Union uh, are going to have to get involved in because, um, you know, those players having come for decent money, I mean, some people will see it as mercenary, them not wanting to take huge cuts. But the, the, the fact is, uh, the other way of looking at it is, okay, so the clubs run itself in a way that if anything goes wrong, they're absolutely buggered. You know, mm. should the players be paying the price for that? You would be asking mm. that if you are a player. And for Monaco, it's a huge problem because um, the running costs are enormous. The revenues are zero at the moment. If they don't make European competition again, you're looking at another huge swathe of finance that's, that's cut off. And they're still carrying this massive squad where there's, there's pretty much no one in the squad who gets paid less than 120, 150 grand a month. And that oh. is frightening in this sort of circumstance, when you think of their lower ability than well, I, I suppose you've got to compare upwards, have you, to to, to, to Paris Saint Germain, even if they're not quite at that level? Because the level of revenue compared to the level of outgoing in terms of salaries, you know, it's 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 not even it's not even comparable. So they've got a huge problem there. And at the moment, the players aren't prepared to, to give any more. And whereas for clubs like Marseille, who've had their financial difficulties, we know that. Um, for Lyon, who are other direct competitors of, of Monaco, that's a problem for them. There's no doubt about it. But for Monaco... They need to be given this issue the, 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 the hurry up. And at the moment, the players aren't budging at all, which is a huge problem for them. Mm.
2: It's, a, it's, a, it's such a difficult situation for for every different club for different reasons. It's a really, really um, febrile time for football, isn't it? And all these different stories are, are really interesting because you you see almost... Yeah, there's 150 different clubs affected and there's more than that. But for an example, there appears to be 150 different ways that, of dealing with it or, or how those problems manifest themselves. I mean, a bit morbid to say, but it's it's a fascinating situation and um, we'll do our best to keep people across it on, on the continent. But I think that's about um, all the time we've got for this week. Uh, Andy, thank you very much for your company and your insight as always.
3: Thank you. And thank you, Ramblers.
2: And to hear more from that interview with the marketing director of FC Michelin, then do go to our Patreon. It'll be part of the Ramble On episode this week. It's patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily. Loads of other stuff on there as well, as I keep saying. Um, We'll be back tomorrow with Marcus, Jim, Pete, and I for the preview show. The Blizzard Greatest Games series will return on Saturday as usual. And you might even see or hear an episode of At The Match in your uh, podcast feed on Sunday, as well as a little bonus episode reminding you what it was like with Andy Brassel to go to football matches. It'll be bittersweet, but it does uh, it does warm the cockles to hear the sound of that crowd again. So do check that out as well. Thank you for your support through this difficult time. He's been Andy Brassel. I've been Luke Moore. We're back tomorrow. That was On The Continent. Thank you very much. and See you soon.